Support for IPR comes from Hands in Harmony, a therapeutic healthcare facility with a splash of spa and a team of holistic healers to help in the quest for health, harmony, and happiness. Cedar Rapids and Mount Vernon. Classes, massage, and more at myhih.com. It's Talk of Iowa from IPR News. I'm Charity Nebbe. Water quality is one of the main environmental challenges facing Iowa right now. And water quality issues in Iowa don't stay in Iowa. All of the water that flows through the state eventually makes its way to the Mississippi River and, of course, to the Gulf of Mexico. When you look at all of the issues affecting water quality in Iowa, the problems can seem insurmountable. The new documentary, Moved by Waters, takes a smaller look, focusing on water quality in the Quad Cities and the people there who are working for a better, cleaner, more sustainable future. Moved by Waters is a production of Fourth Wall Films and the Emmy award-winning team of Kelly and Tammy Rundle. The film premieres at the Putnam Museum and Science Center in Davenport on Saturday, January 27th at 3 p.m. You can find more information at putnam.org. And director of the film, Kelly Rundle, is on the line with me today. Hello, Kelly. Hi there. Welcome back to the show. Well, thanks for having me. And over the years, you and Tammy with Fourth Wall Films, you've focused a lot of your work on historical films, telling a lot of different kinds of stories. In recent years, you've been focusing a lot on environmental issues. Tell me a little bit about this shift in your focus. Well, it was the a byproduct of uh, a conversation that Tammy and I had about what what else would we like to do if we had the opportunity? And no sooner had we had that conversation than uh, we learned about this group, Be Wild, Rewild. And the next thing you know, we had uh, a grant to do over and under wildlife crossings. A short film that shows us how some people can make a real difference with some small actions in helping wildlife cross roads <laughs> safely. Right. In that case, uh, we were kind of looking at turtles because that's what we have here in the Midwest. Uh, we have deer, of course, too. But in that case, we're trying to encourage people just to pay attention to the signs because that's your signal that a road is crossing a place where animals normally cross. So tell me where the idea for Moved by Waters came from. Well, again, um, we were contacted. Uh, we, we did a second film, Places to be Wild. And then uh, we were contacted again last fall by Roger Ross Gippel of Be Wild, Rewild with the notion of, of, of this film, Moved by Waters. In other words, we would look at um, people and organizations in the Quad Cities region who were all working toward improving water quality. And the notion of it was just that the things that we have in common are more important than those things that often divide us. Taking on water quality can be really overwhelming. It is such a big challenge. There are so many different elements to it. And it's easy to get incredibly discouraged about it. Tell me a little bit about the approach that you take in this film, because you do take a smaller look. <laughs> yeah, I, I agree. But many of the problems in the world seem overwhelming. And uh, it is possible, though, to to be to do something and i think that's what we're encouraging and we hope people will do as a result of seeing the film uh not not use that overwhelming nature of the problem to do nothing find a way to get involved and we look at of course groups that are working together 
uh, here in the Quad Cities. Uh, but as an individual, you can make different choices. And Tammy and I walk for exercise. And <laughs> since we got involved in this project, now, now we take a bag along uh, and we're picking up trash as we walk. And that's just one example of something uh, that you can do. In our area, that trash can be uh, literally can end up in the river um, from our Moline neighborhood. Well, I I often run along the Iowa River in Iowa City and I pick up plastic bags. There are so many plastic bags, Kelly. Right. I'm sure you've observed this. And of course, the bags there also can end up not just in the Iowa River, but in the Mississippi River, in the Gulf of Mexico. Um, I, I want to play just a clip from the film because although you take a, a relatively small lens look at water quality by focusing on Davenport, focusing on the Quad Cities. You do educate people about the Mississippi River watershed, which is enormous. The Mississippi River Basin drains more than 40 percent of the continental United States. So that includes 31 states. It's not just Iowa, two Canadian provinces. Um, And you have a moment in the film where Kelsey Massengale of Partners of Scott County Watershed helps to explain this. Let's listen. The watershed is an area of land where all of the precipitation, runoff, uh, stormwater, streams, creeks, any water that's flowing goes to a common outlet. Um, It's essentially a giant funnel. So anything that falls within the the inner ridge of that funnel is going to go through and end up coming out at a common outlet. All right. And again, you also show us the Mississippi River watershed and where this water is coming from, but also who depends on it, because the Mississippi provides drinking water for almost 20 million people. I mean, this we're getting big picture again, but this river is so important. It is. And it's one of the great rivers of the world. And growing up here, I really really took it for granted. And honestly, it was, I I think I had a negative view of it because the quality of the river when I was growing up in the seventies was pretty poor. When we returned, uh, after being gone from the area for almost 25 years, we had great white pelicans here, for example, and that's an indication of improved water quality. So I, I really have a whole different view of, of the water, uh, that's flowing by, you know, at our doorstep, and how important it is. Yeah, I mean, we have seen the return of pelicans. We've seen the return of bald eagles. That's not just about water. water. And we do know that uh, we have a lot of water quality problems that yeah. persist. Um, banning DDT back in the 70s made a huge difference for the bald eagles, for example, and for many other creatures as well. So there's there's this whole web of life. It's not like everything's better <laughs> because no, that's... we see these species. That's right. It, it's still a challenge, but um, I think that you know part of what has been addressed uh, is is things that were being dumped into the river, and that's that's better than what it was. Um, and and I think part of the problem is that we get involved in a discussion about whether it's a rural problem or an urban problem, and then use that as an excuse in a way to do nothing. Right. And we we need to find ways to in both situations. There's a challenge in both areas. And we can find ways to do things that are positive. It's also painted as a, a political issue often, and and that's really divisive. You have tried to stay out of politics in this film. Yeah, and I don't, I think, uh, you know, what's political about needing 
clean water. I mean, nothing really. So we, we all need it. And so we just need to find ways to work together. And um, I would say in a way, the film's the opposite of the national narrative. So the national narrative says that we're too divided politically to do anything together. And at least what we discovered in looking at just this one area of life is that people are working together in all kinds of ways. And, um, and that's been true with the films we've produced over the years too. They've been coalitions of people irrespective of political views, focused on doing something positive. So in the film, we meet a lot of individuals who are working for better water quality in the city of Davenport, in Scott County, in the state of Iowa, on the Mississippi River, in the Quad Cities. Tell me a little bit about uh, your research process and, and what you discovered when you started looking for people to bring into this conversation. Well, it was a surprise. That's <laughs> what it was, really. Um, we had a, a starting point with uh, Augustana and their Upper Mississippi Study Center and doc Dr. Michael Reisner's work with students and then their uh, collaboration with the city of Davenport and then the city of Davenport's collaboration with partners of Scott County Watersheds. But the, the more we looked, honestly, the more we found. I mean, we just... Touch, you know, barely scratch the surface of things that are people that people are doing in the region, uh, all focused on improving water quality. So, I, I had the feeling that I was uncovering a secret network, you know, of, <laughs> of people and organizations. Um, and and I think maybe some of them are better known than others. Some of them have had press in the past, and some just quietly do the work uh, because they know it's important. Well, we are going to meet some of those people this hour, and I want to bring the first one of those people into the conversation. Amy Kay is the clean water manager for the city of Davenport. Hello, Amy. Hello. Welcome to the show. And tell me a little bit about your work. What do you do? Well, we have um, our fingers and toes in all sorts of uh, aspects of clean water um, and trying to prevent it. Uh, from being um, polluted in the first place. So we focus on our um, National Pollutant Discharge Elimination System permit that we have from the DNR, and that kind of outlines um, different measures we have to have with ordinances and public education. Um, and most of those uh, center around uh, keeping sediment out of the water, um, having volunteer events where people can learn about invasive species or pick up trash. Um, so we've, there's quite a bit um, that we incorporate into our work, um, but it's it's great. It, it means that there's never a dull moment and, and every day is different. I think a lot of people, when we start talking about a watershed, understandably start thinking about rivers and streams and all of that water flowing toward the Mississippi. But there's kind of a hidden watershed within a city, too. Tell me a little bit about how you think about the flow of water in Davenport. Well, watersheds are interesting in that they, they don't really care about jurisdictional boundaries. So um, they, they flow from one town to another or through a county um, jurisdiction into a city. Um, and so we can't really think about it as only, uh, only working on, you know, improving water in Davenport. Um, there's water from farther out in the county in Duck Creek that flows through Davenport and then, you know, goes down through Bettendorf before it goes into the river. Um, so on a watershed scale, you kind of have to have to branch out and look at a wider view. Um, as Kelsey had mentioned in the clip that you played, it's um, it's everything you know in a bowl that drain, drains to a common outlet, 
and also within Scott County, all of our streams originate within the county. So it's, you know, it's our responsibility as a whole. Uh, we're not treating other people's polluted water. We're kind of treating our own. So we can, um, we can sort of take responsibility for that um, and move forward, whether it's, whether it's outside of the city of Davenport or, or within its, its borders. We're going to take a short break. We'll be back in just a moment. We are talking about the new documentary Moved by Waters, a production of Fourth Wall Films and the Emmy Award winning team of Kelly and Tammy Rundle. Director Kelly Rundle is here with me today. Amy Kay is one of the people featured in the film. She's clean water manager for the city of Davenport and we'll continue our conversation in a moment. The film premieres at the Putnam Museum and Science Center in Davenport on Saturday, January 27th at 3 p.m. You can find more information at putnam.org. This is Talk of Iowa. Support for IPR comes from Hands in Harmony, a therapeutic healthcare facility with a splash of spa and a team of holistic healers to help in the quest for health, harmony, and happiness. Cedar Rapids and Mount Vernon. Classes, massage, and more at myhih.com. Hi, it's Terry Gross, the host of Fresh Air. We bring you in-depth, long-form interviews with actors, directors, musicians, authors, journalists, and more. Listen to our Peabody Award-winning Fresh Air podcast from WHYY and NPR. It's Talk of Iowa from IPR News. I'm Charity Nebbe. This hour, we're talking about water quality in Iowa. That's the focus of a new documentary called Moved by Waters from Fourth Wall Films. It takes a smaller look at water quality, which is an issue that can be a little overwhelming, by focusing on Davenport and the Quad Cities and introducing us to people who are working in the area to make a difference for a cleaner, more sustainable future. With me today, Today, director of the film, Kelly Rundle. The film premieres at the Putnam Museum and Science Center in Davenport on Saturday, January 27th at 3 p.m. You can find more information at putnam.org. Also with us, one of the people involved in the film, Amy Kay, clean water manager for the city of Davenport. She's also a board member with Partners of Scott County Watersheds. And Amy, uh, for people who who maybe don't think a whole lot about it, let, let's talk about some some basics when we think about living in a city, because uh, as Kelly mentioned earlier, people often think of this, there's this urban-rural divide when it comes to water quality. People who live in cities often blame people in rural areas for water quality problems and vice versa. So let's talk about cities, because every lawn, every parking lot, you know, every every one of us is involved in water quality in a city. Tell me more about what we should think about if we do live in a town. Sure. Yeah, there are lots of things that you can do, even if you have a very small uh, residential lot or, or are a business owner with a larger parking lot, as you mentioned. Um, you know, if you if you have a fertilizer that you apply to your lawn, you can get your soil tested. Um, the Iowa State Extension offices have some resources or labs they can um, direct you to, um, because you may not need any phosphorus, for instance. Um, or if you do apply fertilizers on your lawn, making sure you sweep up the excess that lands on your driveway or your sidewalk, so that it has a chance to actually be absorbed by by your grass or whatever's growing there, instead of um, just running off with the first rainfall. Um, and then anything else you can do to kind of hold on to the rain on your property so it doesn't become runoff at all. Um, <clears throat> you can, if you have a 
downspout, you can connect to a rain barrel to use that water. You can do a soil quality restoration on your, on your lawn where you aerate and then add compost. Compost kind of acts like a sponge and will hold on to quite a bit of water. Um, even, you know, picking up litter, as has been said, uh, whether it's, you know, a walk around your block or participating in a larger cleanup effort, every one of those things and those decisions we make on our personal um, property can, can make a big difference over time if we all kind of do those little things together. Well, and I think about how we've treated water in the past. And, and Kelly, maybe you have some thoughts about this. I grew up in a rural area and, uh, you know, I I remember people having dumps on their own property where they would put all of the trash from their acreage and, and, you know, just cover it up like a mini landfill. But also people often just threw trash into rivers and streams as if being underwater made that go away. We see that with Project Aware every summer when they're cleaning up rivers. People are pulling refrigerators and tires and all kinds of things out of the water. I mean, there seems to have historically been this feeling that if it's if it's underwater, it's gone. Out of sight, out of mind, I right. guess. And that's the way I remember as a child that there was a lot of trash in the ditches uh, my family, uh, they were all farmers, and uh, I can remember my grandparents had a trash pit that was not too far from the house <laughs> at the edge of the woods. Um, but yeah, I think that uh, as we've walked around the neighborhood just picking things up, it's really astonishing what people discard, I guess, out their car window or falls out of their car. There's all kinds of ways it gets there, but some of it can of course, not end up there to begin with. And then it's pretty easy for those of us walking around to pick it up. Well, and you have a, you have a scene in the film uh, where you talk with a bunch of volunteers who are picking up trash in the city of Davenport. I want to play a clip from the film and we'll hear from one of the volunteers and, and his thoughts about picking up ta- trash. This is Devendra Shrikunde. Picking up trash like this can be a little bit of a meditative exercise and I've been doing it just for a very brief period and I had just a couple of observations as I was picking this stuff up. We shouldn't be having to do this. Majority of the people that have dropped the trash here do value Davenport, do value the community, do value the nature. If we just took a few minutes and put the trash in a bag in our car and dropped it off at home or anywhere else, all of our time would be saved here. So that, and remember, anything that you drop off, whether it's a piece of plastic or something which is non-degradable, it is going to remain there, and that's going to be your legacy. Again, that's just a moment from the new documentary, Moved by Waters. And this focus on picking up trash, I mean, in some ways, it, it can be a little frustrating because it's so basic. It's so fundamental. Shouldn't we not be throwing trash out of the windows of cars anymore? But it also seems to be a really powerful action. Amy, share some of your thoughts about that, because, I mean, this is something that, that you've been involved in, getting volunteers out to pick up trash. And, and again, I think it can feel small, but it can be a big action, right? Yeah, it can be, and it makes a lot of difference. Um, ideally, there, you know, there wouldn't be the trash uh, left out in the environment to pick up at all. Um, but that's just not the reality we live in. Um, some people don't value that or they do assume that it'll get washed away and it's no longer their problem. So um, it can be a really impactful um, 
yet small gesture to do, to even go out on your own or to, uh, you know, there's always cleanups listed on the Extreme Cleanup website in their upcoming events. Even if you don't know the other people, sometimes they're welcoming volunteers, whether it's one or 20. Um, there are, never seems to be um, a lack of debris. Um, and it is a big problem in this area. Um, there, there's been some studies done recently about, you know, the types of debris that we're finding and, and the bulk of it is plastics, you know, and they, they will break down and they're just in the environment, you know, as microplastics now for probably eternity. So if, if we can focus on prevention and not letting it you know, escape the trash can or escape your car window uh, in the first place, that would really be um, where we should start. Uh, before I let you go, Amy, there are a couple other things that I want to talk about. Speaking of urban life, of course, most of us have storm sewers right yes. outside our homes uh, on the street and things wash away. You found that, that a lot of people have a misconception about those storm sewers. They think the water is actually treated before it flows into streams. Yeah, I found that a lot of folks still uh, think that the storm sewers go to the wastewater treatment plant so things get filtered out, um, you know, and that kind of justification makes it okay, I think, to litter um, because I think someone else will take care of it. But in fact, they do not. The storm sewers are all just connected through a um, series of pipes and an outlet uh, in Duck Creek or outlet in the Mississippi River. So there is no, uh, no treatment of that water. So if it's washing off uh, oil from a leaky vehicle or, you know, debris, trash, plastic, it always just goes straight to the waterways. Yep. Let's also talk about flooding. Of course, I know Davenport has been through some very, very serious floods in recent years, in recent decades. The way a city grows and urban planning really does have a strong impact on flood control. That's something we've learned a whole lot about in the last 30 years. Tell me a little bit about how you think about that. Sure. Well, the you know, riverine flooding is a little different than up watershed um, on you know, Silver Creek or Goose Creek. We have several through town. Um, and a lot of the flooding on the smaller creeks is from the flashiness of the runoff. We get a big rain. It goes on the streets, rooftops, and goes very quickly to the streams and they rise. Um, and so part of that um, to reduce flooding upstream is where where you can retain the rain, right? Do some of those practices on your property to hold on to some of the water. Um, uh, flash flooding in urban areas can be very dangerous. Um, waters can flood streets um, up to people's front doors in a, in a couple of locations that we have here in town. Um, in the riverine flooding, you know, a little bit different, right? If we have a lot of um, snow melt up north, there's not a whole lot we can do about right. those situations. So we treat them, you know, a little bit differently. Well, and, and there are things that uh, business owners and that a city can do as far as permeable pavement and, and things like that. But so yeah. much of the work that you're doing is with people who own private property. So is education one of your main goals? It is a big goal of ours um, and our permit uh, mandates that we have education and outreach um, in regard to flooding and water quality. Um, and so we provide materials and we have workshops and things like that. Uh, we also have a pretty well integrated stormwater management um, plan through our uh, policies and programs for new development. Um, because we do realize, you know, the city property is not the bulk of it, it's private. So new development and redevelopment has to uh, detain a certain amount of water and also treat the water quality volume to kind of remove um, pollutants before it's released. Um, and then on, um, on previous development uh, where, you know, 
maybe 50 years ago, we didn't have such stringent detention requirements. Um, so we do offer some cost share incentives for um, homeowners and business owners um, to implement practices on their property. And that information can be found on the city's website. Of course, we're we're focusing on the Quad Cities today, but most cities in Iowa have these resources available for people. What's your advice to individuals who maybe haven't thought about this before and are now questioning maybe some things that they do on their land? Sure. And I would always just say to reach out and ask. Um, There's a lot of city staff who can answer questions or direct you to where you need to go. Um, The Partners of Scott County Watershed's website or the Iowa Stormwater Education Partnership website. They have lots of information for homeowners and business owners for for what they can do on their property um, or what perhaps they shouldn't be doing on their property. Um, Amy, thank you so much for talking with me today. Yep, thanks for having me. Amy Kay, Clean Water Manager for the City of Davenport. Uh, This hour, we're talking about the new documentary, Moved by Waters, from Fourth Wall Films. And we're talking to some of the people that we meet in this movie. It's focused on water quality in the Quad Cities and the individuals who are working for a better, cleaner, more sustainable future. Director of the film, Kelly Rundle, is with me. And Kelly, I love that you and Tammy, the filmmakers behind this documentary, you were obviously really inspired inspired by the focus on picking up trash. Well, kind of. <laughs> and I think it's just that um, we see that opportunity. It, it's uh, Education was mentioned, and I think people can't do things unless they know what to do. So uh, without joining with others, which we will be doing in the future along these lines, we can just do this uh, in our own neighborhood. And it makes a big difference. It's kind of amazing when we don't take the walk for a few days, that we can see that <laughs> we've made a difference. Wow. Yeah. So it does it, <laughs> that's depressing, but does it feel empowering as well? It, it does. I mean, just to do something, to do something, put something good out there in the world. We're, we're really close to a grade school and some of the trash seems oriented toward kids, you know, certain kinds of trash. <laughs> <laughs> and so I think there might be an opportunity there to reach out to the school and maybe somehow get information to kids about what they should or shouldn't do as it pertains to tossing things onto the ground. Well, speaking of trash cleanup and education, I want to bring another one of the people featured in the film into the conversation. Dan Bridenstine is vice president of Living Lands and Water. It's a nonprofit based in Moline, and it's dedicated to river cleanup and education. And Kelly, you mentioned earlier that some of the organizations in the film have gotten some media attention in the past. Uh, Dan, Living Lands and Water is is one of those organizations organizations that we've been talking about this ever since Chad Pogracki founded the organization back in the 90s and started picking up so much trash out of the Mississippi River. Welcome to the show, Dan. Hi, thanks for having me. Well, thank you for being here. And for people who are not familiar with the mission of Living Lands and Water, give us some brief education because you've got barges out on the Mississippi picking up millions of pounds of trash. We do. So, yeah, we're uh, we're founded by the man, Chad Pagracki, and uh, he's a great um, example that one person can make the difference. So back in the 90s, Chad actually just saw the problem of all this trash building up on the islands, and no one was doing anything about it in the shorelines as well. 
And so he said, you know what, if no one's going to do it, I'm going to do it. So he started picking up this garbage bottle by bottle, can by can, barrels, tires, you know, you name it. He was picking it up, pulling it out and kind of built this following this, uh, you know, connection in these towns um, that he was working to, you know, grow to what we are today. So it started one man, one boat. And now we're, you know, we have five barges two towboats, a crew of 10 of us that live for half the year on these rivers on a barge, um, but worked with over 130,000 volunteers to clean up now over 13 million pounds of trash. That's incredible. Over 13 million pounds of trash. But your your outreach goes beyond that. You've engaged over 130,000 volunteers. I'm reading this from your website. You've educated <laughs> over 27,000 students and planted almost 2 million trees. Yes, you're right. I know. And it's it's crazy. Those numbers, you know, kind of what you guys were just talking about. And, you know, Kelly, you're picking up the trash as you go. And, you know, it can be disheartening if you look at what you still have to do. But to focus on these numbers, these stats, the, the fact that you've already pulled up five bags of garbage just on these daily walks, not really putting a lot of time and effort is is kind of the focus and the way that we kind of, you know, build that connection with individuals that we work with over time is kind of the what we're trying to leave in these towns that we that we visit. Yeah, tell me a little bit about your educational efforts because you do work with a, a lot of kids, you engage with a lot of teachers and schools and of course kids are the future that this is not their fault, but they're they're going <laughs> right. to have to um they're going to have to take on a lot of these challenges as they grow. What do you want kids to learn? Yeah. So, you know, just what you say, you know, kids are the future and everything. That's true. But, you know, one of the things is they live here, too. So they're the present. They can make an impact as well and kind of, you know, empowering them to make that change. You know, for us, it's, you know, clean waters is what we're focusing on. But if they pick a passion that they're really, you know, apt about right now and just go with it all in, that's where change can really happen. And that's where we build these communities of pride and individuals that want to be there. Um, but I was just like Kelly, you know, I grew up in the quad cities and, you know, the Mississippi river wasn't, wasn't more to me than a, a passing for cheaper gas to Iowa. And so it was more <laughs> of a cross thing, the you know, river to fill up the tank. Yeah. Yeah. And that was, that was all I really had, you know, you see boats and barges go by, but there was not a connection for me individually. And I, we realized that a lot when we go to these different schools and different cities and towns um, throughout the country that some individuals, just based on their upbringing, you know, have a different relationship with the river. We're going to take a short break. We'll be back in just a moment. Dan Bridenstine is here. He's vice president of Living Lands and Water, based in Moline, but operating all throughout the Mississippi watershed. Also here with me, Kelly Rundle. He is director of the new documentary, Moved by Waters. It's a production of Fourth Wall Films, and the film premieres at the Putnam Museum and Science Center in Davenport on Saturday, January 27th at 3 p.m. You can find more information about the premiere at Putnam Org. We're meeting some of the people who are featured in the film and focusing on their work, making a cleaner, better, more sustainable future when it comes to water quality. This is Talk of Iowa from IPR News.
Hi, it's Terry Gross, the host of Fresh Air. We bring you in-depth, long-form interviews with actors, directors, musicians, authors, journalists, and more. Listen to our Peabody Award-winning Fresh Air podcast from WHYY and NPR. It's Talk of Iowa from IPR News. I'm Charity Nebbe. This hour, we're talking about water quality in Iowa and water quality in the Quad Cities. The new documentary, Moved by Water's focus is on water quality challenges in Iowa, but also on individuals in the Quad Cities who are working for a better, cleaner, more sustainable future. Moved by Water's is a production of Fourth Wall Films and the Emmy Award-winning team of Kelly and Tammy Rundle. The film premieres at the Putnam Museum and Science Center in Davenport on January 27th at 3 p.m. You can find out more information at putnam.org. Director of the film, Kelly Rundle, is here with us still, and we're also meeting some of the people who are featured in the film, including right now Dan Bridenstine, Vice President of Living Lands and Water, which is based in Moline. It's a nonprofit dedicated to river cleanup and education on a really massive scale. And Dan, just before the break, you were talking about how when you were growing up in the Quad Cities, you didn't feel particularly connected to the Mississippi River. We know that a lot of people feel really disconnected from nature. And I worry sometimes that when we do environmental education with kids, we tell them a lot of terrible and scary things. And we're not going to protect what we don't love. What do you do to foster a connection with nature so these kids don't just feel overwhelmed and frustrated and like there's no hope? Right. We have have a a special venue, basically, because we're able to take these kids out of a classroom setting on a field trip to the barge that's, you know, a floating classroom. So we have these large garage doors that we open up. They're connected to the waterways. They see the birds flying by. They see the fishermen. They see the barges. Um, And then we try to break down the walls as quick as we can. Um, We have a lot of fun with it. So we, you know, throw in a wrap. We toss in different river finds that are silly and fun that are kind of weird and out there. And then slowly build up this foundation of, you know, a relationship that could be, you know, planting that seed. It's the individual that has to take it where they, where they want, but to show them all these different opportunities to build that connection on an individual, you know, level is kind of how we hone in that focus. Because you're right, if you just kind of, you know, say all these facts and all these terrible things and stuff, how are you supposed to foster that love for, for our waterways. Well, and Kelly, you do focus in the film on some success stories. You take us to Nahant Marsh. You take us to some streams where uh, you've got different people who are monitoring the species in the streams and, and finding that diversity is actually increasing in some of these streams. I mean, tell me a little bit more about what you learned about some of the positive things that are happening. Yeah, it was exciting to follow the students as they were um, setting up wildlife cameras to see what wildlife was using um, the uh, corridors of of the stream, uh, the riparian zones around the streams uh, to travel and to move around. Also uh, monitoring water quality. I I literally, it's been years since I've had a camera in the water and I was (laughs) actually, you know, following them uh, in the stream, um, Pheasant Creek in Davenport. So for students too, I think having that practical experience outside of a classroom, outside of um, theory is really important for them. And uh, 
I know it's the kind of experience that will, you know, linger with, with them as they, um, you know, become part of, of the solution. Well, and Dan, before I let you go, I mentioned that Living Lands and Waters has planted almost two million trees, and that's not really the focus of of this film or this conversation, but what a hopeful action that is to plant a tree and to see the kind of impact that you can have growing in in the environment. What keeps you hopeful? Yeah, that is a great point because you know, those trees live on. And that's what kind of started. It, it all goes back to the rivers for us. When we plant those trees and started that program, it was because we weren't seeing a lot of wildlife and we were seeing the river, you know, banks eroding. And we were like, what a what a great natural approach instead of building these retention walls or, you know, a lot of people were using garbage as a, a blocker. We ended up planting these trees in the spots to have the root system actually hold back the water or the banks and actually, you know, filter some of those toxins out as well and then create a a place for for habitat as well. So with all the nut bearing species, we focus on oats. But I mean, yeah, almost two million trees and, you know, the the story lives on. So planting a tree is always a really cool, powerful thing, especially these tree planting events we do um, because, yeah, the story doesn't end at the event. Dan Bridenstine, thank you so much for talking with me today. Thank you guys for having me. Dan Bridenstine is vice president of Living Lands and Water. He's one of the people featured in the new documentary, Moved by Waters. Director Kelly Rundle is with me, but we want to bring someone else into the conversation now. Rob Ewalt is a farmer in the Davenport area and former president of the Iowa Soybean Association, also featured in the film. Hello, Rob. Good morning. How are you guys? Good. Thank you for being here from a meeting that you're at in Florida. So <laughs> it's nice of you to join yes. us here in the deep freeze for a few minutes. My my pleasure. Glad I could glad I could uh, make time and 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 visit with you. Well, and and Rob, uh, as Kelly was saying, sometimes we see a lot of divisiveness when we talk about water quality efforts. We see a lot of blame. Um, put toward farmers in Iowa. There's a real urban-rural divide. You are a sustainable farmer. You've done a lot of things on your land to decrease pollution, increase water quality. Tell me a little bit about the conservation practices that have been a part of your practice. Well, we've we've done a lot uh, with cover crops. That was probably the first thing that we started with in back in the late 90s. And be honest with you, it was kind of selfish on my part because it was going to be cheap feed for our cattle. But it grew into something, and we saw that there was benefits there, um, not just financially. There were soil health benefits, and uh, really, really started to go down that path and different things with our fertilizer applications and how we do that and and uh, no-till practices and and all of that you know comes together and and we're really seeing the advantages of increased soil health therefore increased yields and more profitability on our end well and i want to really emphasize the more profitability because obviously you're a farmer and farming is a business and you need to be able to make a profit and to stay profitable but you have found that these practices are actually an important part of that yes i i think uh you know we the um the seed breeders or the seed salesmen will say that it's genetics from the from what they're doing but i do i give about half of our increased yield to our farming practices and and through 
through these practices, our soils can hold more water. They have a higher water infiltration rate than other people in in with the the regular uh, conventional farming practices. And uh, we saw that a lot this winter or this sorry this summer through the drought that we held water. And when we did get the big rain events, all of that water went into our soil instead of running off across the top of our of our land. So we saw big benefits to that, and we're seeing it every year. You were kind of an early adopter of cover crops back in the 90s. Uh, tell me about making that transition. Well, my father thought I was kind of crazy. Uh, and, <laughs> and to be honest, when I first saw somebody else do it, I thought, what are they doing? Uh, but it, it makes sense. And if you start understanding um, the the biology in the soil, and, and I don't want to get too too technical, but when you start understanding what you're doing to the soil by planting cover crops, by capturing those nutrients that would either work their way down into the water table or they or they roll across the field on a you know with big rain events, when you start realizing these uh, what these practices are doing, and we see it in a yield map on the technology that we have with our new combines and our tractors we can capture and see real time that, hey, it really made a difference. Um, and that's and that's when it started the, the ball rolling. And then you go to more classes and you talk to some others that have been in this, going down this path and you, and you learn more. And it, it's, it's, a, it's tough to transition. It very, it, it's a very difficult thing financially too. Um, I don't yeah, know. Tell me more about like, that because it's, it's scary to take on, to do something different when what you're doing seems to be working. It's scary to make a change, but also it can be a whole lot of work. Tell me a little bit about the transition. It is the transition. And that's the hardest part that we have to get farmers to go into is because when you give up conventional tillage practices and you start switching over to conservation, no-till practices, you lose the benefits of the conventional tillage, but you do not have the advantages of no-till for about five years. So you have five years of economic difficulties. Let's just put it that way, because you're not, you're, you, you gave up something that worked to go to something better, but it takes five years to get there, to get the soil health where you need it to where you start seeing the yield increases. So that's the big hurdle that farmers in, in Iowa and in the Midwest have to figure out how do they make that transition and how do they keep their farm financially solid for five years? Very difficult question. To yeah. Answer. Well, and I've done a lot of interviews about cover crops over the years, and I hear again and again about the benefits of cover crops, both for the environment and financially for the farmers. But you don't see them taking off in in the way that you might think when you hear all that good stuff. And that's that's the the hurdle that we can't seem to get over those that five years of of really hard work and maybe some economic hardship. That is that is the that is the real challenge. And and I, I through my position at Iowa Soybean Association, I I try to educate other producers and say, hey, try a little bit at a time and and see. But but I challenge some of the researchers, too. I said, you guys need to figure out how do we get make that instead of five years, is there anything that we can do to make it three years? 
where we have financial difficulties. You know, it's and and nobody's come up with that answer yet or the solution yet, but that is the the big challenge. And and uh, you know, I don't know. Uh, thankfully, my wife has a very good job in town, and and she was able to carry us through those tough years where we were transitioning, and I could make it work. Um, but it's it's I don't know what the answer is, but. <laughs> But we are seeing more and more acres of cover crop. We have cover crop seed is now becoming an industry in the state of Iowa, which I think is a huge benefit because you would not have them starting businesses to sell cover crop seed if there wasn't the demand. So that tells me there's more and more acres in Iowa that are getting seeded down to cover crop in the fall. With the younger farmers, are you seeing more of these practices with people who are starting out or taking over the family farm? Yes. And I've had questions from young, you know, college graduates or they're still in college and they're saying, Hey, we want to try some of this stuff. How do we do it? Grandpa, grandpa's always done it this way. And, and grandpa has the checkbook. And how do I, how do I bring these practices in? And I said, boy, oh boy, I said, that's a tough one. But I said, if you have a neighbor in the area, that can come in with some of his specialized equipment to do no-till, to do um, uh, fertilizer application. I said, maybe you get them to come in and do it on a small part of their farm, maybe 50, 60 acres, and then you show grandpa it works without having to have the big capital investment into the equipment. It's it, But again, challenge, because you still have the five-year deal to... to, to um, you have to deal with. So. Right. Well, and, and uh, we could talk about policies that that maybe we could invest in as a state that might make that transition a little bit easier. But um, that's not really the, the subject of the day. But I do want to ask you, because Kelly talked about, you know, this film is apolitical because we all depend on water. Water is life for every single person in the state of Iowa, no matter what your politics are. Um, is that challenging to to keep this conversation apolitical for you, Rob? Oh, not, not really. I mean, I, I tell, I tell people we all have the common goal. And I said, I, I'm, I'm proud of what our farm has been able to do and how we've been able to change. And, and I tell them I have two teenage boys and I have one that would much rather be fishing along the banks of the Mississippi river than sitting in a tractor right now. So if he wants to do that, I want him to have good, clean water that he's pulling fish out of. I, and and it should be a goal of all of us to to do the best we can with what we have. Um, and and from the agriculture standpoint, it is a it is a big question. It's it's challenging in some years to stay profitable, let alone trying to do some of this um, this transition. But um, it's, it's our, it, it really isn't a political thing. It's, it's what works and, and that's what we do. We've proven that it works on our farm and we try to show that to other people, other farmers in the area that are open to this and show, Hey, it's, it's, it's not, it's, it's a black and white issue. It's, you gotta, we gotta have clean water. We gotta leave the soil better than what it was when I took over from my father. Um, and, and I'm not going to knock the older generation because they were using 
the best farming practices of that time. Well, now we have new information, new studies showing that soil health and and these practices are the best practices of the time. So now we just need to get people to switch. It's not a political thing. It's a it's a mindset of of um, how you want to run your business and and pass it on. I think that's more what it is. Rob, thank you so much for talking with me today. Thank you. You guys stay warm up there. <laughs> yeah, thanks a lot. Rob Ewell is a farmer in the Davenport area. He's also the former president of the Iowa Soybean Association and one of the people featured in the new documentary, Moved by Waters. Uh, director of the film, Kelly Rundle, we only have about a minute left. But what do you hope people take away from watching your documentary? I hope that they just find a way to get involved uh, in a positive way, either individually or by joining with other groups, you know, the easy thing is to pick up some trash. It's harder to end some of the unsustainable things that we're doing in cities and in rural areas to reduce consumption, to reduce domestication. You know, those are hard and those are things we need to do. Kelly Rundle, thank you so much for talking with me today. Thank you. We've been talking about the new documentary, Moved by Waters, a production of Fourth Wall Films and the Emmy Award-winning team of Telly, Kelly and Tammy Rundle. The film premieres at the Putnam Museum and Science Center in Davenport on Saturday, January 27th at 3 p.m. You can find more information at putnam.org. Talk of Iowa is a production of IPR News. Our producers are Caitlin Troutman, Samantha McIntosh, and Danny Gear. Our executive producer is Catherine Perkins. I'm Charity Nebbe. This is Talk of Iowa from IPR News.